This morning as we open up to John chapter 17, we find ourselves jumping into a passage of Scripture that could put our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ in the exact same seat as that man right there, communicating to his children his final wishes. John chapter 17 records for us uh, the entirety of the chapter is a prayer from Jesus to his Father. And Jesus knows that he starts off at the very beginning and says, my time has come. And he knows that what that means is it is time for him to take his last steps and, and step his last few moments of life here on the earth in his journey. And he offers these words to us in John chapter 17 that my prayer for us today is that we will reposition ourselves before the Lord in a way that we can receive them with the, the reception and the tenderness of a man that just communicated to us his last wishes. So let's look at John chapter 17 together. And I want to read verses 20 through 23. It says this, as, God, as Jesus has poured out his heart before the Father, he says, I do not ask for these only, Father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Would you pray with me? Father, time and time again in this prayer in John chapter 17, you recenter on what we believe is truly your heart cry for your children. Oneness, unity. Father, that we would be seen in you as, as your son Jesus is in you, the Father. And Father, this morning, I pray that that would be a fresh reality for these people in this gathering today. And for all of your family across the globe, that we would recenter on your heart and receive your last wishes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a few things this morning, church, that, um, that I, I want to spotlight in John chapter 17 as we lay a foundation for a brand new series this morning. A couple of things that are worth uh, illuminating from the page that we just read. And, and one of those first things is this, that unity in case you've missed it up to this point, is the ultimate desire of Christ for his followers. Would you say that with me as we repeat that statement together? Unity is the ultimate desire of Christ for his followers. Now let that soak in. Let that penetrate your flesh, your bone, your spirit. Let the truth of God remind us this morning of what is really the heart of Jesus, the Christ. One of the things that he desired more than anything else, more than anything else, as he offered his life fully and wholly before the Father, knowing what was to come, knowing that as soon as this prayer was completed, that he would begin to step his final steps into the journey that would crucify him on the Mount of Calvary. 
more than in his own personal comfort on the journey ahead. Unity is the ultimate desire of Christ for his followers. The second thing we got to pull out from John chapter 17 this morning is this, that unity is the ultimate apologetic of Christ for the world. Y'all say that with me this morning. Unity is the ultimate apologetic of Christ for the world. Apologetic here doesn't mean uh, I'm saying I'm sorry, right? Not apologizing. Apologetic here simply means that it is the greatest uh, compelling evidence for the world to see and witness the unified body of Christ when everything about us doesn't make sense to hold together Jesus Christ, as Colossians says, is the one who holds all things together. How can people who call themselves God's children all across the face of this planet, all across the spectrum of time, so diverse, love one another so deeply and be held together so unconditionally regardless of the storms they face and the seasons of life that come and go. Can I tell you this morning that the heart of the Father this morning is that the world would look at his church and say there's no reason that those people should love like they do. There's no reason that they should still be together after all they've been through. There's no reason that they should stand together on common ground. But the word of God says this morning that the unity of Christ is sufficient for our oneness as his family. If you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to do so. We've got a lot of notes that are going to be worth writing down. And as the Spirit speaks along in your own way, in your own voice to you, I encourage you to interpret that and write that down as you take notes together. So my question for us here at Shannon Oaks Church in 2018 is simply this. This is clearly the heart cry of Jesus, his last wish for his followers before he embraces the journey that led him to the cross. If Jesus, the Son of God, who is one with the Father of God, then if he has valued this so deeply, then how have we, the church, diminished this so easily? If this is such an important thing for Jesus, even more than us showing up to church and saying a prayer that, that, that puts us in proper position before him, more than how or when we choose to worship, more than how often we take communion, if this is so important to Jesus, then why do we diminish it so easily? I mean, so easily. Something doesn't go our way. Something gets a little uncomfortable. Some truth gets communicated that we don't want to hear. I don't know about anyone else this morning, but I'm confessing to you, Shannon Oaks Church, that I, Eric Godwin, as your lead pastor, have a unique and unfortunate capacity to elevate my own personal agenda above that that belongs to God. When I position myself before him in such a way that, that I know that John chapter 17 records for us the things that are dearest to his heart, and yet I live my life in such a way that diminishes the value of that in my life, I have an unfortunate capacity to elevate my agenda above God's. I think it's safe to say as we look across our culture and world today that that is a common attribute in the world we live in. We look at 
the home. And we look at the, the lack or the absence of unity in the home today. It's greater now than it has ever been. We look at our country, the United States of America, and it's almost laughable, the reality of the lack of unity among us today. And across the world, we see glimpses all over the place of the reality that you and I have diminished the value that is the anchor of God's heart for unity among his children, and we diminish it and dismiss it so quickly and easily. And so this morning, as the church, you and I must recenter on the value of unity among us, among our homes, within us, and our brothers and sisters in God's family. When Jesus talks about marriage in the New Testament, he, looks, he talks about the union between a man and a woman, and he says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And yet, it happens far too often today. Many of you, Many of you, if not all of you, carry the wounds and the scars of division and disunity in your life along the way. You show up here today hurting, aching, longing for some healing and restoration. You know there's got to be more, but yet you and I have found ourselves a people who easily relinquish the unity God intended for us. So this morning, I want to just draw to our attention for the sake of conversation that there are so many things and, con and confusing things along the way in the conversation of unity that we must address and we must dismiss because uh, of the lies that the enemy wants to whisper in our ear to deceive us, to make us believe that we are a unified people, right? Just because we choose to gather in the same room, therefore, we must be a unified people, well, I know that's not the case, all right? I've seen husbands and wives live together in the same houses and not exhibit the unity that was created for them in the bond of marriage. But just because we feel like we come together in a space or we meet each other at a place that we have met the mark of unity as God designed it for his people. And I want to dismiss that lie this morning because unity is not just coexistence. It's consistent existence. It's consistent existence. And here's what I mean by that. How many of you this afternoon are going to flip over and watch the boys, right, play ball, right? The Cowboys are going to be playing ball this afternoon. And I know, listen, it, it's not a sin to watch the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon, all right? So when I ask that question, if, if you're a fan, it's okay to raise your hand, right? Because I know some of you are going to watch the game. But here's the reality. There will be thousands and millions of people across just our society and even around the world that will tune in for a consistent existence this afternoon, right? to see those Dallas Cowboys bring home a W from Seattle, right? Got a few of them in the house today. <laughs> I'm just trusting that the rest of them have already gone ahead to Seattle. I want to remind us all this morning, Shannon Oaks Church, 
that in the journey toward consistent existence, that purpose is, has been, and always will be the best unifier. Nothing will draw people together like a common purpose. When you and I have common ground in the reason for our existence as God's people, as the homes that belong to God, then you and I begin to exhibit the unity that can only come from God. And here's the greater thing, church. Because it only comes from God, nothing else can take it away. Amen? There is nothing that can stand in the way of the unity that comes from God if it comes from God. Purpose is the best unifier. But I know that since we all show up with wounds and scars this morning for disunity and division in our lives, I know that life experience proves to us over and over and over again that without great care, this unity from God doesn't just thrive among us. Amen? It doesn't just naturally happen. We, as God's people, have been given a tremendous gift, the heart of God, and the greatest compelling evidence for the whole world to see that you and I have been asked to steward as his people. And so I want to ask you this morning, as we get into this word today, to just ask yourself, how have I stewarded the unity of God among his people? As the body of Christ, as families who serve the Lord, one of the greatest things we must do is supremely, supremely value the unity of God among us. Supremely value the unity of God among us. And I'm here to tell you this morning that it's not an option when it comes to unity among the body of Christ. If we, the people of God, who identify ourselves as such, are to align ourselves with the purposes of God and to experience the fullness of the life that he gives, then the church today must demand unity. The church today must demand unity. Not just in our gatherings, not just beyond our gatherings, but in our homes, in our workplaces, on social media, in our relationships. I believe that there's so much for us today if we will begin to embark on this journey. And because we see that unity gives glory to God and credibility to his gospel. That's what John chapter 17 told us. And it helps build God's kingdom here on earth. But I want to tell us this morning, church, that I believe that in the conversation of unity that our best efforts are served in one of two areas. We can either learn about God's unity and we can grow and mature in our ability to replicate that wherever we go which is a great option, and that's going to be part of the journey ahead. But this morning, I want to step into the other side of the equation, and I want us to begin to recognize that we must, as the church, the church who demands unity, we must begin to take proactive measures to disarm division among us. 
We must, as God's army, take proactive measures to disarm division among us. And we're stepping into a brand new series. Over the next few weeks, this is exactly what we're going to be focusing on. We're going to be re-examining the lives that we live and and the way that we connect and relate to one another in the church and within our families so that we can truly and effectively disarm the division that seeks to destroy God's plans here on earth. So look at your neighbor this morning and tell them, let's disarm division. I believe that division is the enemy's best attempt to derail God's plans in your life. If, if the enemy can't overcome God, the best thing that he can do is distract us from engaging the plans of God. And so the enemy wants to put things in our path that, that divide and destroy. Jesus said in the New Testament that, that there is a father of light and there's a father of darkness. And there is a true and real battle between the the fathers of those two kingdoms. But we know that the kingdom of light prevails, and yet, therefore, we're caught in the middle of a storm where the kingdom of darkness still tries to make futile attempts at at God's people in his kingdom. But we know that the power of our enemy is limited. Amen? How many of you know the power of our enemy is limited in your life? I'm so grateful for that because that gives us the hope that we need today and in the weeks ahead to to know that God through us can effectively disarm the division that seeks to destroy us. If the enemy can get you alone or disrupt your momentum or split apart what God has brought together, he can delay and divert the plans of God from becoming reality. And so today's message, I know it took a little time to get into the, me- the heart of it, but today's message, if you're taking notes, is entitled, Diffuse What's Different. Not diffuse, but defuse, right? How many of you know that different things can be in- explosive in our lives? When we encounter something that's different, whether it's color, whether it's smell, whether it's size, whether it's opinion, oh, <laughs> I got offended just be- the mention of opinion, right? So we get... We get very, very volatile when different things are exposed to us in our journey of life. And I want you to flip over to John chapter 4 this morning. And I want to tag on to this message, a passage where we see Jesus engage differences in a way that is worth celebrating and then representing in our lives. John chapter 4 Verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read this out loud. It says this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, 
a woman of Samaria. And then the author gives us a little footnote here to end this passage. It says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, that's putting it lightly, all right? That's like, that's like saying that uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins, right, are, are best of buds, right? They, they have no dealings with each other. In fact, it goes on multiple levels here because the differences that Jesus had just engaged in this passage were not just cross-cultural, they were cross-religious. They didn't even align with the, the, the standard of the law that had been communicated for the people, the Jewish people, to adhere to in their lives. Here's what I mean by that. The Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, and so therefore they would do anything and everything to go out of their way to avoid an encounter and engagement with them in a public setting. That's why when Jesus tells the story of the great Samaritan, that it's so controversial culturally because it, did, it went against the grain of what everything that was normal in that culture accepted and approved of. But it gets more complica complicated than that. Not only were the Jews not supposed to engage Samaritans, the men were not looked favorably upon engaging the women in a public setting. In fact, for, the, for some of the religious leaders in that day, the Pharisees, you know I'm talking about the Pharisees? There, were, there was a sect of Pharisees that were actually identified as bruised and bleeding Pharisees, okay? And here's how they got that name. When they would, when they would go into a public place, a public space, they would uh, see way off in the distance a woman approaching them. And so, therefore, they would close their eyes and they would hide their face and they would just walk into whatever was before them because they were so concerned about not subjecting themselves to the filthiness of guilt and uh, uh, obtrusion over the law that they avoided at all costs the difference that was set before them. And so the differences that we see Jesus engaging here, culturally, he had every right to avoid this conversation. Socially acceptable in their eyes was the opportunity for Jesus just to go the opposite direction and turn a cold shoulder to this lady. But instead, we see Jesus engage this in a, in a way that is bold, confident, and I want to tell you this morning, very strategic. Because our Savior knows the power of differences in a life that is disconnected from Him. And so if you and I can just lean in just a little bit longer this morning and receive from the Lord's example this morning. There are four amazing things that happened when Jesus crossed these lines that had been drawn culturally and socially and religiously as if they hadn't even been drawn in the first place. And when Jesus did that, we see these four things emerge. Brokenness was confronted. If you know the story of John chapter 4, you know that, that Jesus goes on to have a conversation with this lady about her marriage. And in John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, she says, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. 
For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Brokenness was confronted when, we were, when Jesus was real, willing to cross the line of the oppositional differences he faced. The second thing is Christ is revealed. Second thing is Christ is revealed. John chapter 4, verse 25 through 26, we see this. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Get this. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Christ was revealed when he stepped across the lines of differences in his life. Number three, Christ is glorified. John chapter 4, verse 28 through 30. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. When you and I follow the Lord's leadership in the ability to cross different lines, we have the opportunity to engage his kingdom on a different level. And we see Christ is revealed, brokenness is confronted, and more than that, Christ is glorified. When we exhibit and reveal the greatness of Christ and all he is, we see that amazing things happen, which happens to lead us to the last one, number four. When Jesus crossed those lines of differences in his life, the kingdom expanded. John chapter 4, verse 39. This blows me away, church. Many Samaritans, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. We don't have the option of avoiding different things in our lives. We don't have the opportunity to custom create a journey of life that steers us around and beyond the, the reach of those things that are different in our culture. We're going to encounter them. We're going to see them unfold even in our own homes, in our workplaces, in our school teams, in our youth groups. But we do have the choice of how we're going to respond to them. And so this morning, I want to leave you with a couple of choices to make. As you've asked yourself, how have you stewarded the unity of God in your life? I want to punctuate that question with these two choices. Given the opportunity to engage differences in your life with the unity of God at stake, do you choose... Rival or relationship? Which side do you land on now? Or in other words, camaraderie or comparison? Shannon Oaks, I want to remind you this morning as we bring this thing to a close. That the unity of God is so much more than coming together at one time, in one place, and, 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 and setting our sights and attention on one person. It has to go beyond that. It has to go deeper than that for us to experience the fullness of what God has created, the unity of his people to accomplish here on the face of the planet.
how are we stewarding the unity of God in our lives? I know for every person in the room today, that, that probably has a unique answer for the, the way that you have experienced life, the way that you've negotiated its experiences along the way. But I want to remind you this morning that there was a time for those who identify themselves as children of God. There was a time and a place where what Jesus did with that Samaritan woman, where he crossed over those lines of difference that had been clearly and specifically drawn in his culture, when he did that for you and for me. He crossed those lines as if they had never been drawn. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I don't know what you know about the nature and the character of God, but there is nothing more inconsistent with the nature of God than a sinner who just can't get their life together, who can't help but fall on their face. There was a time when Jesus said, you know what, that is, that is the most different thing that I could ever encounter between the physical and the spiritual realms. But because of the heart of my Father and because of the mission that He's entrusted to me, I am willing, ready, and absolutely excited about the opportunity to cross those lines as if they're not even drawn. Willing to embrace the consequences accordingly, knowing that this will not be the last time that this person falls on their face, that they are in need of grace, that they're in need of love, but to give them the power that they need in their life over and over and over again to effectively disarm the enemy and defuse the differences that they face in their life. And praise the Lord that Jesus was willing to cross those lines. Amen? Praise the Lord that he was able to do that. But Beyond that, church, let us never forget that the same God who did that now lives within us and empowers us to do the same. And so for you in your life, I don't know the area specifically that the, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to that, that is subject to division and destruction this morning. But I want you to know that through the power of God's Holy Spirit, you have everything you need <laughs> to disarm the enemy, to take back the ground of unity that God has intended for your life, your home, your workplace, this family, and God's family across the globe. May we never forget that. So in just a minute, I'm going to pray for you. I want to ask that as the worship team leads us in a time of response, that you stand to your feet. And, and there's going to be prayer ministry team here along the front in the back of the room. If you need prayer for any reason, that's what we're here for. We're here to join the Lord in what he's doing in your life. And I know it's so easy for us to say that we can just deal with this later. and We can go home and talk about this. But if the Lord is stirring in you this morning in the area of division and unity, I'm encouraging you and charging you and urging you this morning to not dismiss that as something that you can address later. 
Let the Holy Spirit seal the work that God has been doing in you this morning during our time together.